Hello, my friends. Welcome. What happens when two strangers meet in a grocery store? Sometimes we get Harry meeting Sally, and sometimes we get Facebook wars. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Hello, my name is Joe. Welcome back. I want to talk to you today. There's a lot that I want to talk to you about today, but let's start with how do we know what's going on with strangers? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I just got done reading the book Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Fantastic book in some ways. In other ways, a very painful book to read. He takes a lot of the cases that have been in the public's eye that we think we know, and he shares with us all the information that we don't know. Talking about the Brock Turner rape in California, the Sandra Land stupid arrest. I wanted to call it a murder, but I guess I can't legally, but certainly stupid arrest in Texas. He takes these cases that we think we know, the the Jerry Sandusky issue in Penn State, abuse uh, scandal in Penn State, And he points out that we don't know everything that we think we know. So if you're a person that's highly vested in certainty, if you're a person that's highly vested in being right, this is a terrible book to read because he's going to challenge you and he's going to suggest that you're probably not as good at reading people as you think you are. You're probably not as good at understanding people as you think you are. You're probably not as good at making judgments on people as you think you are. He talks about the Amanda Knox case and how most of the prosecution's case was built off of the fact that Amanda Knox didn't react the way the Italian prosecutors thought she should have. But they didn't take into account any cultural variance. In fact, they not only ignored evidence that would have uh, shown her to be impossible to be there. They ignored evidence that showed who was there because they got fixated on her response. He talks about the CIA, whose main job is to figure out who's lying to them and who's, who isn't lying to them and how terrible they are at it. And so as he processes through this book, he talks about torture. Does torture work? Does it not work? He very clearly comes down on the side that it doesn't. He starts to dismantle a lot of things that we hold dear. The rub with the book for me is he doesn't really tell us why. And and I found out, I went and did some Google searches and found some interviews. And it turns out he's more interested in, quote, piquing our interest than he is in offering solutions to problems that he presents. It's a ponderous way to go at life, but okay, it's his life. He gets to choose how he does it. But then I saw something on Facebook that I was like, oh, this right here is what he's talking about. So in my little neck of the woods, there's a wonderful store called Meijer, M-E-I-J-E-R. Locals call it Meyers because there's an S if you're a local. And it is kind of the place where people go to do all of their shopping. They get their groceries there, their clothes, a lot of their clothes. I mean, a lot of shopping happens at these Meijer stores. So about two weeks ago from the time of this recording, a woman puts up a picture of a man that she has clearly shot from her phone. It's not a posed picture. 
right? Like it's obviously her keeping her phone down near the cart to get the picture. And she gets a couple different angles and she puts up this picture that says, if you know this man, be careful. I was at the Meyer in such and such location and we crossed paths three times and two of the three times he talked to me and said something like, hi, you're pretty or, or something along those lines. Unfortunately, all the posts have been deleted uh, but, you know, don't you look nice today or it's nice to see you. Uh, he's an older gentleman, but don't be fooled. He was harassing me. I felt stalked and harassed. She went to the Meyer management and she complained to them, filed a police report. They walked her out to her car. And of course, on Facebook, this spread like fire in this area. I saw it, I mean, so many times all over. I actually had people talking about it. I had a client who frequents that Meyer come in and talk to me about it. That wasn't the reason for the visit, but it came up in the visit. And everybody assumed the guy was guilty. Fast forward one week, about seven days. I'm in the gym and there's these two guys talking and they say, I'm, hey, did you see this? And they show me a Facebook post that another woman put up uh, of the same man. So now she has pictures of him walking with her, I'm guessing, at a wedding. And she says, take a look at this man, this man right here. And she goes on to talk about what a good man he is. She's got a picture of him walking with her. And she has a screenshot of the post from the first woman whose name I'm guessing was made up because it was two rappers put together. And now that everything kind of gets interesting because on the one hand, you have this woman who was like, well, I felt harassed. On the other hand, you have this woman who's like, look, this guy just was going through his normal shopping and he happened to cross paths with this woman and he said hi to her. Since when is that harassment? And she kind of goes off, which of course creates its own spreading like wildfire. And now there is this heated interaction repeatedly between people on both sides and both sides are saying, well, people are calling me up and harassing me now and threatening me. One post goes down, then the other post goes down. And everybody just kind of draws lines for defense. And we see this a lot in our modern society. Uh, if you feel something, if you feel threatened, then you were threatened. If you feel like you were wrongfully accused, then you were wrongfully accused, which both can't be true. And that's part of the problem. But the bigger problem is, is that we interpret everything through our own lens. This is something that the book Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell talks about, but is also something that I see quite frequently in therapy that I know other therapists see in frequently in therapy. There is an interpretation process that has to happen and it happens through our own lens. So let's just set the stage. You're Nina Ree. You're in your 20s or 30s. You've got a child with you. It's Tuesday morning. You're in a hurry. You're on your way to Meijer. You go to the grocery store. You're tired. You hit Starbucks on your way. You're walking around, and here's a guy that you don't know. He's got a hat on, white T-shirt, blue jeans. He looks like just a normal elderly man, and he smiles at you. Good morning. No big deal. Four aisles later, you cross paths again, and he says, well, aren't you beautiful, or something along those lines. Now... You start to feel a little uncomfortable. For one, we don't talk to each other. That we don't, If we don't know each other, we don't talk to each other like that in public. Not generationally. Now, there is a higher rate of men talking to people like that in an older generation. In that generation, specifically. 
And so now you're uncomfortable. You grab your child a little bit tighter. You're walking, you're browsing the cream in the coffee aisle. You move to the cereal aisle and you go around the corner. There's the chickens and the beef. And then there is this guy. And he talks to you for a third time. Now, just for the sake of this conversation, let's assume that she has zero trauma, that she's never been sexually assaulted in her life, which is a statistical roll of the dice. But we'll do it. We'll say she's never been assaulted. But she reads the newspapers. She watches TV. She's on Facebook. She's on social media. And we've all heard the stories. Uh, Sex trafficking is high in the news. She's got her baby with her. She's young. She's pretty. She's attractive. She knows that guys find her attractive by the things that they say. She's probably been sexually harassed somewhere in her life with cat calls or people at a bar saying things inappropriate to her. Or shoot, people saying things inappropriately to her at church, unfortunately. Don't you think her fear is understandable given her limited understanding of the stranger she's encountering? And if you're in the camp that's like, wait a second, he was just walking through the store and he saw her. Don't worry, I'm going to get to that side. But just for a minute, put yourself in her shoes. That fear she felt was real. Now, we can debate what she should have done with it. We can debate whether or not her interpretation of the the events were correct. But the fear that she felt was real. And quite frankly, as a father of three daughters... I would want my daughters to be more inclined to have the little tickle at the back of their neck than to ignore it and to walk into a bad situation. I can see her perspective. I can empathize with her. I can feel her fear. And I don't think she had any right to put it on Facebook. Because now let's flip it around to the dude. You're in your 50s, 60s. You've spent your life working in your 60s. You're retired. You've spent your life working hard for your family. You've got your list of regrets that we all collect uh, as we troll through life. And by troll there, I mean like fishing troll, not troll. Like, unfortunately, that word has been uh, co-opted and, and, and used for bad means, in my opinion, in the last five to ten years. As you As you kind of cruise through life... You collect regrets, and he's got them, and he's walking around. It's Tuesday morning. He wakes up. He bends over. doesn't bend quite as well as he used to. Puts on his black shoes that don't need tied, his white socks, probably not in that order. Puts on his white T-shirt with the pocket so he can put, keep a few pens with him because you never know when you're going to have to write something down in 2019. Grabs his hat without any bend to it. Bills, pigs, and whatever, meat market. I have no idea what the hat said. Gets in his truck and drives to Meyer because he's got nothing to do today. And so he's going to go get some coffee, and he's going to walk around, and he's got to pick up a few things because his wife asked him to. And then maybe later tonight he'll get to go see his grandkids play in their U8 soccer game. And maybe he'll have ice cream or dinner with his daughter and her family. He might go over and hang out with uh, his friend George later in the morning. But for right now, he's just going to get a coffee, the newspaper, and maybe pick up a few snacks that his wife asked him to get. He's walking around. He notices people. He likes to talk to people. He's a little lonely because when he retired, he lost one of his main social networks, which is work. By the way, this isn't that big a stretch. This is common for people who retire. They get lonely, especially people 
of currently retiring. They get lonely. They lose their main social network. And so he sees a pretty girl with a cute baby, and it reminds him of his own daughter 31 years ago when they brought her home. Man, has it really been 31 years? He remembers putting her in that car. Back then, I don't think they had seatbelts. Mama holding her. Driving home, looking at every car like it was a danger to the most precious thing in his life. He remembers that time when she was two and she fell over and he thought she was playing, but she was really choking. And some voice niggled in the back of his head, go check her out. And when he did, she was blue and he thought she was going to die. He remembers the first time he took her driving where she was the one behind the wheel and the abject terror that he felt. Fear that he hadn't felt since he was probably in Vietnam. He remembers the day she graduated. The cap, the gown, the music, the party, the kids swimming in the pool out back. Him and his wife fretting over, did they save enough to get her through college? All of these memories in a flash through his mind because he sees a little baby sitting in a, in a cart. And so he says hi to her and the mom. Doesn't really think much of it. He goes on just walking through Myron. If you've been in you know, a super center store, you can walk through the same aisle five times. You can go backwards and forwards and sideways. And he comes across them two other times, and he says hi again, comments on the pretty outfit the little baby's wearing. And he also talks to 15 other people and doesn't think anything about the exchanges. To him, he's just out for a normal Tuesday morning. He's interpreting it through his lens. And he's just out saying hi. He's just friendly. And so he goes home and doesn't think about it. I don't know that he's on Facebook, but then the Facebook starts and everything goes on and somebody in his family reads that he scared people. What does he do with this information? And some of you are going to say, well, it's really clear. He shouldn't talk to other people, but that's you using your lens. That's you failing to see the humanity of both people. And now both sides are locked in what we call a social justice war, right? Because now it's share, get the word out. And look, things pass through Facebook. Just this week, I I read a post where somebody put up, they sell Plexus or something, and they put up this post that's just scientifically inaccurate. But man, people were sharing it. I saw somebody put up a post about how you need to be careful in public restrooms because people who use intravenous needles to, to do drugs are cleaning them off of toilet paper. Really? Well, when did this start? Because that hasn't been a public concern forever. And when I asked the person, I don't know, but it's on Facebook. And here's what happens. We fail to stop to think Facebook off. Here's, I don't, I actually like Facebook, but here's my problem with it. It offers a certainty that we don't actually have. And in truth, we can't afford when it comes to strangers. One of the problems is, and by strangers, I mean, almost anyone who doesn't live in your house. One of the problems we have is we seek certainty even when we're not right. I was talking to my dad yesterday, and he said to me, well, isn't this situation the way you always intended to do it? I was like, no, that's actually not accurate at all. I assumed that it would go this way, and then these things changed, and so I I had to make a change because of the changes. And he said, oh, well, I just assumed, which is fine. It's, It's his prerogative. But the reason we do that is because we want certainty. And I was, as I was talking to my friends about this, this incident at Facebook, or at Facebook, at Meyer and how it spread through Facebook, two things happened. One, neither person, 
the young woman or the older man, neither one of them stopped to ask themselves, how might the other person be interpreting what's happening? They never stopped to say, what does it mean from the other person's point of view? She got afraid and, and I'm not, not like I, she went and talked to management. I'm not knocking her for that. Go do that. Anytime you feel afraid, go talk to management. She went and talked to the police. That's fine. I'm guessing nothing came of it because I know a lot of law enforcement people. And the ones I've talked to are like, nothing's going to come of that. He didn't do anything. He said hi. And that's not illegal. That's not harassment. But I'm not faulting her for feeling scared. I would ask her, what do you do when you feel afraid? How do you manage your fear? How do you manage your strong emotions? How do you talk yourself through it? Because on both sides of this story, we've all heard stories about how sex traffickers say hi to somebody in a store and mark them. Now, here's the interesting thing. When I talk to actual sex trafficking experts, they say that might happen. They're, they're, I've never found one who's willing to say it doesn't happen. But to a person, and I'm into double digits as far as talking to experts on it, they have all said it's very rare and highly unlikely. There's just too many things that could go wrong. Now, I know people who have been sexually assaulted in grocery store parking lots by strangers. And so I, that's why I say I don't fault her for her fear. I want to be really clear on that. I do think she should have been more careful before she puts a stranger's face on Facebook with a shareable link to it and essentially accuses him of being a stalker. One law enforcement official that I talked to in preparation for this recording actually said to me that she's probably closer to illegal than him in the absence of proof or at least a file being, you know, a charge being filed against him. And so as she dealt with her fear, she put up the word to quote, get it out. But what happened was she set herself up for more trouble. And I don't blame him for being friendly. I do think he could stop and ask himself, I've already said hi to this woman once, twice. A third time, do you think I'm going to scare her? And, and truth is, probably from this day forward, he'll be incre incredibly cautious about who he talks to, which is the other side of that that we probably want to avoid. But this whole thing comes down to, and then I think the other thing that happened that kind of put all, and there's a lot of things that happened, not just two, but I think the two that put everything into motion, the first one was no one stopped to say, how might the other person be interpreting this? And then no one stopped and said, what happens if I'm wrong? Why might I be wrong? We assume we're accurate. We assume that we read other people's intentions accurately, that, that we read their interactions accurately. And, and I mean, as I grow older, I realize how many people have trauma and that clouds so many different things that they do. Whether it's actual physical trauma that you could trace to somewhere on their body, it's sexual trauma or it was emotional trauma because they grew up with an alcoholic mother and a father that was uh, codependent. Or, or vice versa on that. And, and I didn't have an alcoholic parent. So I interpret the world without that lens. They interpret the world with that lens. And that could cause us to be wrong when interpreting each other's behaviors. And no one stopped to do that. No one stopped to say, okay, wait, what are the consequences if I'm wrong here? He didn't stop and ask himself, what are the consequences if I'm wrong that this woman doesn't seem to mind me saying hi to her or her daughter? 
But she didn't stop and say, what are the consequences if I'm wrong? And he was just being kind or he thought he was being kind. And I felt creeped out about it. And I shouldn't uh, ruin this man's life simply because I feel creeped out by what he did. But here's the rub with that. Immediately. In fact, even as I was saying those words in my head, I'm thinking somebody's going to write in and say I'm blaming the victim. We don't have a victim here. We have two victims, potentially, because we don't know that that guy did anything wrong. And that's the rub. The woman who wrote the post, and she started out, take a good look at this man. He is a good man. And she laid out her case in like 500 words of why he's a good man. Here's the problem. We all know people who have been arrested and convicted for sexual assaults, for crazy things, and everybody that knows him was like, no way, he is a good man. I, we've all heard those stories. I've read them online. And she pointed out, this: the woman who wrote, hey, look at this man, he's a good man, he's my father. She pointed out, we all have read stories about people that have made stuff up because they like drama and they like being a victim. And we're caught in our society because we can't talk about that. I'm terrified saying this. There are people who claim to be victims who aren't. And I've had friends say, well, it's only 12% or it's only 4%. It's only 3%. I've heard numbers all over the place. It doesn't matter what it is. There are still people that do it. And unfortunately, the number's probably higher than we're comfortable with on both sides of this equation. The number of people out there with bad intentions is probably higher than anyone's comfortable talking about. And the number of people who are willing to go to things like social media to garner sympathy for themselves is probably too high. And here's the third option, which I believe, and I don't have anything to base this on other than watching the interactions, but I believe is probably the most likely. Nobody was making this up. She really felt scared. And you can argue, well, that's ridiculous. She shouldn't have. Is she going to live her whole life in fear? Okay, that's fine. You can make that argument, but she still felt it. And going and protecting herself, going to the management of the store, talking to the police, that's her constitutional right. I support that. And he probably wasn't thinking anything of it. He was just out trying to have fun, just getting through a Tuesday. The problem comes, and here's the third thing to think about. I know I said two earlier, but here's the third thing. We love certainty, and we love to be able to judge other people. And this is the thing that we have to consider. We have to learn to live in the tension of being certain and realizing that we have to hold on to that certainty loosely. Hold on to it loosely. In our certainty, especially our certainty of our interactions with people we don't know, with situations that we don't know all the details, don't make decisions that can't be easily undone because it will create a world of pain for us. And this happens in relationships. It happens in marriages. It happens in parent, adult, uh, parents of adult children relationships. It happens in family of origins, like between siblings. One of the most profound realities that we have to embrace is that we don't know every aspect of everyone's story, and therefore we cannot know every lens that they have. Now, I'm still totally okay. Anytime you're at a grocery store, you're out and you get nervous, the back of your hairs, the hairs on the back of your neck go up, protect yourself. Make the appropriate reports. But public accusations sound pretty dangerous to me because it could just be an innocent man and a misunderstanding. I personally, I get the guy's perspective. It's not like our society is drowning in kindness to strangers. Saying hi to people. Say hi to people. I say hi to people. My kids joke that I'll talk to strangers all the time. My wife thinks it's one of the criteria that I meet for adult ADHD. 
But you got to read people. You got to read situations. You got to think. You've got to learn to be aware. And this is where people run into trouble because we're certain that our interpretation of every event is accurate. And so we assume that how we see it is how the other person sees it. And that almost always causes problems. Okay, so Talking to Strangers is a book by Malcolm Gladwell. He is not a sponsor of this show. Uh, I'm not getting paid to do this. I do think people should read it. I think it would help us better understand where we're at in society and how we interact and why we have so many seemingly innocent interactions that spin out of control pretty quickly for a lot of people. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.